Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation. We have been making sweet, sweet love in your ear holes since 2018. Um, what a world we're living in. What the hell is going on with this global pandemic, COVID-19 coronavirus? Uh, you'll appreciate as a lot of events, etc., are, are being shut down, that it has impacted us and some of our guests we will give you an update on that at the end of this podcast, but just be aware, um, other things are happening, other people are around, we are still continuing to, to work here for as long as we can and as long as we are able. If you ever want to find out what we're up to, probably the easiest way to do it is to head to the uh, website, which is www.thedoc.com. NZ. Great place to go to check us out uh, and also the Facebook page, you can find that through that domain uh, website as well thedoc.nz to see what's coming on. So because we've got a bit of a crazy old uh, world at the moment, we thought let's talk to uh, a brainiac uh, someone who's smarter than us <laughs> which isn't that hard, and someone who's an expert in, in some of the areas uh, that we're talking about. Infectious diseases for example Professor Philip Hill uh, from the School of Medicine at Otago University uh, one of his areas of speciality is infectious diseases. Uh, he has several other areas as well. Um, but that's one of the areas that drew us to him to uh, come on board and basically give out good information. So a little bit of a different vibe today, not quite so much the laid back, easy conversation, but more Q&A and getting good information out there. But it is good information. It's really valuable. Hope you enjoy it. Here we go. We're live with uh, Professor uh, Philip Hill from the Otago University School of Medicine. And uh, I was reading your bio, uh, Professor Hill, uh, speciality in infectious diseases. And so we thought, as, as part of what you do, we thought we'd, um, we'd get you in and have a chat about coronavirus, mostly because we want to get as much good information out there as we can. Just pull that mic right into your mouth there, then we'll be good to have a chat. So welcome and thanks for coming in. Thanks, Pat. Everything has been cleaned. <laughs> so you're good. I, I, I've got my, um, I've got my, I was lucky enough to be able to secure some of their kind of antibacterial uh, um Wipes and everything's been wiped down and everything's cleaned up and congratulations. We're yeah. good to go. Thank you. Speaking of though, I mean, um, it's. I, I guess I want to just talk generally about the idea and also uh, look at what this thing is and what we should be doing. I've heard a lot of good information out there, but I've also heard a lot of misinformation out there. I, I read a Facebook post yesterday from someone saying if you gargle salt and water, the, the virus is in your throat first and then that stops it getting to your lungs. To which, of course, I Googled straight away and thought, that sounds like bollocks. And it's bollocks. I told them, and, and thankfully my friend took it down off their Facebook page. So I just thought good information, accurate information is what we want to put out there. Yeah, I think the, the, the really key thing here is that the situation is changing the whole time. So there's lots of advice going around and uh, it's really important to have this sort of one source of truth point of view because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, don't, I just don't memorise many of these things like exactly what to do for self-isolation. But if I got told I had to self-isolate, yeah. then I would want to know exactly what that entailed. And, and the, all that information is on the Ministry of Health website. So get used to 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 going and reading the Ministry of Health website when you have a question, yeah. Because it's the one source of truth. It's well researched, and they have the exact information that you need. And they need to know if they don't. So if you've got some need uh, to know something that's not on there, 
then um, I think you should tell them, and then they'll 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 work through whether they need to uh, to get on to, to do that. And like Jace just showed, you actually can't miss it. Just skip back one, Jace, because it's actually literally you go to their page and it's the top topic and blue, so you're not going to miss it, are you? Because yeah. um, I have heard people asking questions as well about, you know, they're t- telling us to call the health line or call your nurse rather than go in. Yeah. But there have been some people saying, when I called the health line, I couldn't get through. Obviously overloaded. Yeah. But I'm assuming that's because this thing is uh, infectious enough that if you come into interaction with someone, then they have to isolate as well. So we call first. They actually do an assessment over the phone. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm assuming, will someone come out to you? Because obviously if they think, yes, you sound like you've got the symptoms, they don't want you to come into them. So I don't manage that side of things. But In fact, I don't really manage much of it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Probably probably zero. But in my understanding, essentially it's about safety for you and the people that you interact with um, and the health system. We need our doctors to, to practice safe care. They need to... They need to walk towards a health problem and not away from it. So yep. it's not about that. It's about walking towards a health problem safely. So, And they, if they all got knocked out for 14 days, then ooh, that's even it's worse yeah, for everybody. It's not going to help anyone, is it? So so I think they, they have to set up a, a safe process for them and the other patients that are in their waiting rooms yep. to, uh, to, to, to meet your need. Uh, so... Uh, they they've done that, so they I don't know exactly how they do it and what masks and yep. protective gear they use. But you shouldn't be worried that you're not going to get cared for. We're trained to walk towards a health problem and not to be scared of it. It's not about us being afraid of a health problem. It's about just approaching it safely. Um, Jace, look up for me, Italian nurse, bruised face. <laughs> I was going to say because these people are heroes in that industry at the moment as well there was a, oh, a yeah. it's gone wide this this picture this is an italian nurse and i'm sure you'll find it straight away jace italian nurse who has been helping out people with coronavirus in italy and that's what the screen her protective gear has done to her face so actually her protecting herself and being so committed to helping people that's what people in the health industry in some places are putting themselves through it's amazing yeah, it's amazing. No I'm just, about it. it's just, it's not. Not only are they, you know, sacrificial angels at the best of times, literally physically sacrificing their bodies at times as well. And I'm sure, yeah. a- along with that, goes lacking of sleep and all, all these other things as well to to help out people that need to be helped. So, yeah. I guess, big thank you to that industry right now from all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, can you explain, if we take a step backwards, exactly what this COVID nineteen is and how it uh, you know, how it works, how it attacks us, and why it's so dangerous to us. So uh, I'm an epidemiologist uh, and infectious disease physician um, and public health specialist, and I focus more on the public health and epidemiology side, and I'm not a virologist. Mm-hmm. But essentially a virus, uh, this is like many other viruses, except that uh, it, it's, got, it's not, um, it, it, it hasn't really been presented to humans before. Right. So, um, so it, there's more people who are susceptible to it than normal for other viruses. Um, so, it, it doesn't have a brain, so we should be able to outsmart it, <laughs> uh, and it's not even able to handle its own um, metabolism and so on itself. It, it has to sort of latch on to other cells. So it needs a host. It needs a host, yeah. and and it, and that that host's machinery to, to 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 operate. So we should be able to outsmart this thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's 
it's a it's the same family as the SARS virus was, mm-hmm. and the other one which I forget the name of all of a sudden. Um, is that MERS? The MERS, yes. And they, I just think swine flu, bird flu. Is that the same? Oh, thing? Yeah. They're, they're just <laughs> the nicknames for it. Um, so, and it's different from an influenza virus um, in 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 various different ways. I don't know much about the how it's different sort of from the genomic point of view. But I look at how it behaves mm-hmm. and whether it behaves differently to influenza virus. And also I think we're understanding now that it behaves differently to the last coronaviruses, those other two, the, you know, um, the SARS virus and so – what did you call it again? The MERS. The MERS, yeah. Like somehow I keep forgetting that. No. <laughs> but the, the, the MERS virus and the SARS virus are different. Now, the one I've looked at closely being triggered by an article I read a few days ago is, is to understand the properties of the viruses – and then that should shape how you intervene. Mm. Um, rather than just blindly following a pandemic plan, which is created primarily for influenza, okay. you have to follow your, those, your plans and then, adjust, and then adjust according to this virus. Um, I think that, so that's the key thing, is that we need, to get, we need to be smart about the actual pathogen that we're dealing with. Meaning it's like, uh, I was going to use an analogy of a war, you have to actually know your enemy to, to figure out how to defeat them sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what, one of the things we focus on in infectious disease and the, why I've been focusing mainly on how on earth are some countries managing to control the virus mm. and others can't. Mm. And then how does that link with what we're understanding about the properties of the virus that might be different from the previous SARS one, mm-hmm. which was a coronavirus that was seen to be able to be contained more easily, even though it probably without containment measures, would have done the same thing. You see what I mean? Oh, really? Same, um, same sort of death rate, though? or is this, this Probably like, higher. Okay. I, from my understanding, the SARS mortality rate was very high. But sometimes that's because you're early on. Oh, there we go. 9.6 versus 3.4. Yeah, so that, that may be because early on with SARS and when the case, that, that, that uh, you tend to pick up the, you tend to manage the, the severe cases. Mm-hmm. So you, if in Italy, right. for example, you see this horrendous mortality rate. Um, and it's possibly because they were just overwhelmed, only managing the most significant cases and the vast majority of asymptomatic or low symptomatic people who just told to go home, you're not even going to be tested. So, And, and, um, and that and would so also on. therefore mean probably not counted, would you think? Not counted, exactly, yeah. 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 And so you'll see in the States early on, they had like a 10% mortality rate. Yeah. Uh, mortality ratio. And, and I think that's the same thing, that they were, they were being, they weren't, they were only testing the, ones who had significant hospital level um, illness. So these are just, you know, these observations you have to make and we're making them on the hoof at rapid pace yeah. and we're getting some of our observations wrong all yeah, the time, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. But we, and, and the other thing I suppose is you have to think about why is it that the mortality, for those who really get onto it and test a lot of people early, they have a very low mortality rate mm-hmm. and then it drifts up slightly. And I think that's because it takes with, with, um, uh, with, the COVID-19 disease, it, it tends to take a few weeks to cause people to die. Right. So if they do die, they can be like two or three weeks um, before they die. So your mortality, you look at the mortality ratio um, over over a bit of a longer period of time to get a feeling for what it actually is. Yeah. Um, I read as well, this is more perhaps the, uh, the social element of this as well, rather than the scientific, is the gentleman who, who everyone is throwing abuse at in Wellington, who came across from Wellington. Yeah. I actually read his full story the yeah, other day. Yeah, so and did I, yeah. and I, I, I kind of want to put out there, maybe for people to lay off him, because the full story is he had a voluntary test, which he didn't need to take. 
And if he didn't take the test, he would have been here in New Zealand with it and not known. So actually... People who were yelling at him saying you should have stayed there and and, and not come across with a test was waited. Yeah, he, but he, he's also saying that on reflection he thinks he shouldn't sure. have travelled. And, and I think that's the key thing is that, yes, you can see he's not, he's not a crazy yeah. individual trying to carry some sort of weapon into the country to kill us all. All these, he, all these tweets he, we're he seeing. he was unwise in what These he tweets did. we're seeing from Americans literally going, I'm an American, I'll do what I want. I mean, there are a, yeah. pe- a group of people who are doing, I'll go where I want, I'll do yeah. what I want because I'm an American. And, and He's this, not one of those. This reminds me of the, of the issue around our individualistic mindset in the West in particular. Yeah. And that... We're trying to avoid catching this virus, but what we need to be getting into the mindset, and other people are saying this, is we need to avoid passing on any of our viruses yeah. to another person. Yeah, and that that that's really crucial because you're not necessarily going to have any problem from the virus. You've got you know over ninety nine percent chance of surviving any any level of illness you get. Um, so over ninety nine percent chance of surviving an infection with the virus. Mm-hmm. But someone else, if you set up a train of transmission. It'll get through to somebody who is vulnerable to dying from the virus eventually. And so the, the key responsibility I think we have at the moment as individuals, and I, I, I think it's fantastic what Kiwis are doing at the moment is, is really buying into this, is that we're going we're gonna, to, you know, we want to attack this thing as a, as a nation. And, um, and one of the things, the ways to do that is by having a, a, an approach, which is to, to just not pass on our flus and colds this year to other people if we possibly can. And I don't know if you've uh, tried to do that in your household before, but um, so sometimes my kids would have uh, a major sports championship or something that they would be going to and yep. one of the other ones has a virus. And you know when you're in, in top athletics or some other sport that um, that you know you if you have a 1% to 5% drop-off in performance, that's a lot of seconds on the track. Yeah, sure. And so on. So you, you try and work out ways to isolate that person from the virus in the yep. household. Uh, so those sorts of things are really crucial. Just some of it's just uh, following basic advice, but also you know being determined that that, that person is not. Those other people in the household are not going to get your virus this year. Um, obviously, you're professor at the University of Otago, and I really like talking about passing it on on the University of Otago Facebook page at the moment. Uh, they've got a new poster up there that says "Do it for your nana and papa." Meaning, yeah. meaning, yeah. don't take it home to the far node. They're the ones that are gonna, gonna. Yeah. And I kind of, I've got a, a ten-year-old, a fourteen and a sixteen-year-old, basically. Um, and I was talking to my ten-year-old yesterday, saying, you know, if you if you get sick, you'll if you get this thing, you'll you'll be a bit sick. It would seem that the kids will be a bit sick and a bit fluey and not too Maybe bad. Maybe not even anything. Maybe actually. not even anything, but yeah. but I'll be really sick. You could be. And yeah. my dad, he's not coming down now, but he was going to come down this weekend actually for the cricket, which has been cancelled. Uh, he's uh, he about two and eighty, yeah. and and if you you know kind of trying that exact message is what I was talking to him yeah. about yesterday. I was thinking about exactly that sort of thing myself um, yesterday uh, because I remember my grandfather talking to me in January one year when I was weighing up whether to propose to my wife. Oh, yeah. And he said, I think you might have the right woman there. And, and uh, he looked at me in the eye and he said, you know, it's a lot. And I, you know, he asked me when when we might be looking at getting married. And I said, probably September. And he said, it's a long time till September, Philip. Oh, wow. And um, and he didn't make it. Oh. And um, I didn't realise oh, He was talking time, about himself. He, he wanted to be there, yeah. Oh. So I think it's really... And this is a really good moment because, you know, there's some 
of our elderly die every year from influenza. Yeah. And this one is much, you know, it's it's similar to that, but it's a it's more like it's more it's got a higher death rate. In it's at least yeah. So this is one of these. I thought maybe we could put out there some information. Maybe if you've heard some that you can dispel some of these common tropes or, you know, f- you know, for want of a better word from Mr. Trump, the fake the fake news stuff that's actually <laughs> going out there. Um, but people are going, well, you know, half a million people a year die from influenza, and my response to them has been, but this is probably 10 times as serious. If the same number of people had COVID-19 as had the flu to have half a million people die, probably 5 million people would die of COVID-19, if it's 10 times as serious. I think that's in America, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So those numbers at the face value are correct, I think, uh, at at least by some calculations. Um, What I think we need to realise is not influenza. So it's got other weaknesses. Like a pneumonia or...? It's got those strengths, right? If you do, oh sorry, it, you mean coronavirus is not an influenza? It's not an influenza Correct. virus. Gotcha. It's got different properties and different strengths and weaknesses. So is so. this is this a is this a misconception we need to get out there that this is not just a very 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 bad flu, which is what some people are thinking? Well, it it, it manifests almost with the same sort of symptoms. So yep. what I'm saying is that it has different strengths and weaknesses in its ability to access the out the, the vulnerable population or any right. any other any human being. Right. So it has, it's, it's got, we need to think about the science of what this virus is and, and its properties. And some of them, we, some of the things about the science of it are not yet fully known. So mm-hmm. we're speculating and guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but my point is that we need to somehow look at what's happening around the world and then what the properties of the virus are and see if we can tie them up to try and look at what its weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. Because if we can find its Weaknesses in the while we're still trying to find the drugs and the vaccines that might work, then we need to action those things real fast. Uh, which is my what I'm focusing on, my energies on. Apart from advising advising the university leadership about with others about um, about what we you know how we how we handle this on campus and so on. Is this the kind of outbreak pandemic oh, are we going to see more of these is there any i mean you know how how everyone goes oh remember the wonderful summer back in 1978 because and, and it it wasn't necessarily that good but you have a like i don't remember these sorts of things last no. century but since we've had this century there's been we've already said what uh, swine bird sars this yeah. is, is this a, a more yeah. common recurring uh you know, yeah. pan, and global it, issue yeah so there's basically um, and I'm not an expert on this side yep. of it, but um, my understanding is that there's literally, you know, maybe millions of viruses that haven't been exposed to humans that are circulating in animals. Some of which have got no capacity. Many of which have no capacity to enter into humans, mm-hmm. even if you sort of put it, spread it on their bread and stuff for right. for, for years on end. Um, but every once in a while, one of them bridges into the human population, and and can cause some trouble. And that the likelihood of that increases, basically, as a function of the of the exposure of the animals to the humans, right? And um, and the practices that that might precipitate the the the, um, the bridge crossing. So the practices in this situation, now I've read. I'm not saying this is gospel. And these are the things we, I'm, I'm wanting to dispel if we can. Is that this may have originated in what they call a wet market in part yeah. of China, yeah. which had exotic animals. And so I've read before someone's mentioned a pangolin. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a pretty cool looking they're animal. Pretty cool animal. It's a bit harsh on it at the moment because I'm not sure that's been proven. Yeah, okay. But but, um, but, but it, what it seems that most people are saying is the wet market exotic foods 
consuming that animal was the crossover. That's the theory. Yeah, right. Um, Will we ever be able to prove that, or is that just the strongest theory? I, I would back our scientists to prove that at right. some point, yeah. Does once once these get dealt with, like I'm thinking about SARS and, and bird flu, that, and once they're out of the population, would the same kind of action have to happen to bring them back in? You know what I mean? Like, would that, like if this was a dude, dude eating a pangolin, would that, if we if we got this under control and we eradicated it from the face of the planet, is the only way it could then come back again that same yes, first action? That's my understanding. It has right. to come from the reservoir. Right. Or from the reservoir through another animal to humans or something like that. Um, so um, it would have to re enter. And same with SARS mm. virus and the MERS virus. Uh, that's my understanding. Um, it's not an area that I studied in mm. great depth. But I think the key thing, and one of the things why people like Michael Baker have been so strong on, on, on trying to get through to people the realities of these things is because we haven't prepared ourselves in the past very well for pandemics in right. New Zealand. I think we're like 35th on some country scale in terms of our readiness. Right. Um, and in some ways that's okay in, to, to some extent because... We're a bit where we we'll benefit from being isolated. That's like a really good starting point for yeah. your pandemic plan. No one can walk over our <laughs> boundaries. Move yourself away from the rest of the world a bit. Um, so yeah, so um, I think that the reality is that this will happen again. Something mm-hmm. like this will happen again at some point. Uh, it'll be a, its own type of virus. It's un- they're all unique, uh, and they'll have it'll have its own properties, and we need to understand each one that, that they that, that have, and it might happen. Uh, sooner or later, who knows? Is it likely that, so we're in Basin, Dunedin, obviously. As far as we know, there's no official cases of COVID-19 in Dunedin. But I was driving here, I, I, I took my kids to school today and I was driving up a really steep hill where there's only enough room for one car. So everyone pulls over and people in Wellington will know what I'm talking about. That sort of steep hill, you know, one car, so everyone pulls over. And one car that was coming the other way didn't pull over. So I had to stop. It was quite a large car. And then I started to go forward, but there was a little car behind it. And so I go, oh, whoa, and stop again. And one of my kids goes, oh, well done, Dad. You know, good good driving. And I went, yeah, first rule of the road is you, you kind of treat everyone else like they're an idiot. Like you, they're all the ones that are... That, yeah. are on, that, that are always going to make the mistake. Yeah. Is it a time even in a place like Dunedin and then, you know, people watching this or, or listening to it, pick your place in New Zealand or the world where there's no cases, that we should be treating everyone else like they've got it? Is that, do we need to go that far? No, you need to treat yourself as having it. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, totally. So, so, so you need to yeah. regard yourself as the idiot, yeah. which may be easier or harder depending yeah. on who you are. <laughs> but... um. You have to regard yourself as the idiot because you drop your guard right. with your cold yep. and it'll flick over to somebody. And now the, the great thing about having colds all the time in some ways is it, it messes up a lot of, and it gets complicated for working out who to test and all yep. that sort of thing. Yep, yep. But it gives you an opportunity to practice. And there's a really pr- basic epidemiological principle we use. It's called the replacement phenomenon mm-hmm. so or the replacement principle. And that replacement principle says that if you have an outbreak or an epidemic or, or, or endemic, whatever the disease is, and it you, on average one person uh, infects less than one other person mm-hmm. on average, that pathogen will disappear from that population. So people might hear that and go, how do you infect less? So you're talking about three people infecting two people. So 
uh, let me just carry on for a second. If you infect on average more than one person, yep. you will drive the epidemic. Okay, so um, so that whatever virus you've got yep. right now yep. can end up with your grand pop and it might have less than a tenth of the chance of coronavirus killing them. Right. But it's still not zero. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a great, this is a fantastic opportunity to think about it as a as a as a as your personal approach to the replacement principle and your commitment to it for every respiratory infection you mm. get this year. You see what I mean? So that if you managed and you can you'll be able to work it out because if you've got five people in your household, you can count the number of people that you give it to, or you got all that got it when it came into the household, and that's a good marker of your household practice. And we know that with COVID nineteen that Household transmission is the highest risk right. area. N- not shopping, not going out biking, driving your car and leaving your window open. It's household transmission that is the most common feature. And, you know, that, that is complicated by the fact that with some diseases, while household transmission is the most high risk, mm-hmm. you have millions of other encounters. Mm-hmm. And if they're at low risk, you just sort of do the sums the balance of overall response, the burden of disease from the household and community can be different depending on just the sheer number equations of, of all that. But I think the key message from me is is, be, is practice now not getting your cold or flu bug to anybody else. Right. If we can do that across the country, then they can't take hold. And if it does take hold, it can't carry on. Uh, it'll peter out by itself as a principle of, of viruses, and you know, I, you know, I'm sort of sticking my neck out a little bit in that sense. Is that, well, how do you, you know, how how could that be for this one? Well, it's 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 a basic truth that has stood true for time till now. That uh, that's what pathog- that's how pathogens relate to populations. And when you say sticking your neck out for this one, it makes me also think of, of so um, these little little bottles of you know squeezy alcohol rub um i used to always have one in my car because i'd read that the supermarket trolley was a disgusting place oh exactly yeah and i used to always and i did it with the kids i talked to the kids about it today actually we'd leave a supermarket we'd always give a bit of a just no matter what yeah and i wonder if you say sticking your neck out about this one i hear that and i think getting in good practice today for the next one so in other words stuff that we're doing now and practicing now like Maybe not so much of the wash. Like I've washed my hands three or four times yesterday inside the ha- my house, whereas maybe I wouldn't do that if this wasn't around. But but to, on that end of the spectrum, rather than someone never washing their hands or or never cleaning their hands after the supermarket or whatever. And um, my sister actually talks about how I was really surprised she never gets sick from her kids when they're in her house. Yeah, because she has good practices, and yeah. I guess idiot boofhead me kind of goes oh, I always get sick when my kids get bring their stuff home yeah. but what I hear you saying is even for this good practices in a house with someone with COVID-19 can still potentially keep you safe yeah I don't think that it's infectivity it's ability to transmit to other people is any greater than any of the in fact it's way less than measles for example right so you can tell that just by thinking about it if 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 that person who was in Auckland who was the case who went to that concert right mm-hmm. and mixing in close quarters with a lot of people had had measles mm-hmm. and they were all unvaccinated yep that would have been a measles outbreak and we wouldn't have been able to stop it right 
So COVID-19 has got nothing like the transmissibility of measles. Yeah. Um, it's more like any other respiratory virus. It's difference with it is that in some um, subpopulations, it, it has more higher mortality. So you don't need to be scared of this virus in terms of transmission to every to your to others in terms of that you can't stop it transmitting. You can. Yeah. And that is probably the key to getting that replacement phenomenon down below one. I like that. So in in my house at the moment, there's uh, there's me, there's three kids, and there's two others. So what's that? Six six of us. God willing, it won't come into my house. But if it did and then four of us in the house ended up getting it, that's the right direction. I mean, preferably if it came in with one person, only one person would get it, but you're talking about that declining yep. impact rather than increasing. Yeah, so this brings us to the point of the contacts. What about those people? Yeah. Um, so you, yeah. the people who have it? So no, the, the people is, is what do you do about the, the ones who potentially have it? Right. Um, and then the contacts of the, the, the like, the avoiding contact with others if you get symptoms. Yep. And then if you have contacts that are in the household and so on with this and get diagnosed with this one, um, then how do they get handled? But I think the key, the, the key reason I want to talk about contacts is because um, this, I think this virus has some properties that makes it exquisitely sensitive to a combined case and contact management process mm-hmm. from a public health point of view. So it means that um, it gives us it. It's um, it. It uh, it tends to cause symptoms after about five or six days, which means that you've got that length of time to find all the contacts, which influenza right. doesn't give you. Right. Um, on the other side of it, it looks like it might be the most transmissible early on in symptoms. So and and whereas the SARS virus took a few days, I think, to become maximally transmissible. So those two things combined um, mean that uh, if you just if you just diagnose cases, then you will you won't get to them fast enough when you remove them from the population mm-hmm. to stop them transmitting if the transmission is to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do find that if you do get to all the contacts within five days, you can isolate them and then then you'll block the chain of transmission. So you'll get that replacement principle down to less than one. Um, So the whole whole combined public health package needs to be ongoing, I think, is the key thing. Whereas with influenza, once you start getting community transmission, you start being more relaxed about the public health response because you really it's gone you can't really hand you can't really it'll overwhelm your public health response without being without you know very quickly from a um i guess community health point of view and the whole country um you are you happy with the because uh, for some people they're saying that the way new zealand's hand, handling it is, is is very hard like we were uh, block uh, you know 14 days isolation international visitors very early yeah. on. Are, are you yeah. thinking that we've done – are we doing really well with this, like our, our safeguards? Yeah. So I've got a few thoughts on that. I'm not a border control expert. So <laughs> I'm talking like a, just a, a, a trained person to, who analyses things. Sure. Um, so I think the first thing is that whole country bans are regarded by WHO as not the best way to do border control. And the one of the reasons is because 
if you're not observing what the virus is doing in other countries early and so on, um, while you're banning one country, it might sneak in from another country, which is exactly what happened with Iran and New Zealand. We banned the Chinese. It came in from Iran. Then we banned the Iranian. So you get you can, can be a bit too late. You're waiting yeah. for the... So, um, and so now we have this 14-day thing. And, and I think that was quite smart from uh, in, in many ways. Yeah, It's a trust thing. You've got to be able to enforce a policy. So that's up to the government to work out how it's doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, would, I think we've also got a challenge here, which is from the Prime Minister, to, to come up with a, a smarter plan than that, if we could, right. um, in 16 days. So, or... or in the first instance, because you know she could what, make that. What would permanent. be a smarter plan? Yeah. What, what, what well, do you think? I think one of the things we've done in public health is we haven't spent enough time engaging the big data people, the economists, um, all the all the people with high level expertise in other disciplines, mm-hmm. and we deliver to policymakers maybe quite blanket solutions, and they have like these brutal economic effects and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the downside. You, you have a huge, you know, this is not a light decision the Prime Minister's made. And sure. She's got the best advice. Yeah. And it's uh, completely reasonable. But I think what what we should be trying to do is get our best brains together in New Zealand from multiple disciplines and see if we can come up with a more sophisticated approach, if we possibly could, yeah. to reduce the economic damage uh, and maintain the health protection. So if you looked, you can imagine, for example, like a um, an, an individual risk-based approach mm-hmm. uh, where you are, you're able to fully assess the risk of an individual coming into the country rather than necessarily where they're coming from. That might mean that where they're coming from at the time... Is a part of the risk assessment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you might say, look, Northern Italy... <laughs> yeah. We don't even know how many cases they've <laughs> yeah. got. Yeah. I'm sorry, mate. You're going to have to wait till that calms down. Yeah, a bit. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but if you go to this place for, for for 30 days or whatever we think is the, it gets rid of doubt, risk down to you know zero, and you're sitting with a medical doctor that we verify, you know that sort of thing. You can imagine that uh, with a highly sophisticated approach that was somehow automated, so it didn't require masses of people, that you could end up with uh, a plan that was enabling a, a large because you've got what, how many billion people in the world the seven now six yeah. and a half seven something like that so how many of them would we need to come into the country every year to help the tourist industry yeah a lot uh, but not seven billion is it no so I, i'm i'm wondering about uh, more whether we can over the time we've got while well, we've got this in place mm. is not to stop it necessarily but to actually use our smartest people in the country to actually come up with a more sophisticated approach to give to the prime minister to to have make it make a call on the the idea of that still feels like it requires such a lot of uh, you know honest actors because I have no symptoms I walk through customs there is no symptoms so I'm in here and then I start to show symptoms I'm here and you know what I mean there's, there's still an element of of you know people being honest and, and, and yeah. playing the game, so to speak. Yeah. I guess at the moment it feels like the government is saying, it's not that we can't trust you, maybe maybe it is, I don't know, but we need to make this harsh call. How do you think they'd make the leap in theory to get to the we're going to trust you enough? Because you're basically putting it in the hands of the people on some levels here. Yes, there is a risk assessment at the border, but there's still, when you don't do a blanket, a, a, you know, yeah. a, 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 a blanket statement, then there are people who are going to yeah. slip through. Well, that's why I'm saying this is not like me coming up with a solution. Mm. 
that's the whole point I think of the the what I'm saying is that let's have a let's get the best brains around the table from the tourist industry the mathematics people you know although all and the big data people and actually say what can you you know what can you come up with because if we could get it right then uh, you know how long are you going to have this thing in place yeah, well, for you know and if if we have it for that length of time we'll get even more ability to use our brains to work out how to how to come up with some more sophisticated approach is there any information or data that you've seen that talks about the longevity of this are we looking at 12 months, 6 months, 3 months because that might be a determining factor in what those brains, they might go, we can handle this hardship for 2 months. Is there any data out there about it? Oh there's quite a bit as you've seen probably in the media Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, Professor Michael Baker is a world expert in pandemics and has indicated it could be quite a long time but um, and I, I wouldn't be really in the position to contradict that. I suppose my thinking would be that um, there's there's the global epidemic, mm-hmm. and then there's New Zealand's ability to contain mm-hmm. anything that comes in, mm-hmm. and our ability to pick and pick the right people who come into the country who don't have it. Yeah. Um, once we're if we manage to contain it, which is would which would be wonderful. Um, we still have it occurring around different parts of the world for quite a long time. And if a vaccine comes in, obviously, at some point, then that would help a lot if it's mass-produced at the scale it needs to be and so on and is effective at, a global, at the global level. Uh, and it, uh, So I think that we would need to be thinking about this virus. For, we'll be needing to think about the virus for quite a long time. Um, but we should be thinking actively about getting more and more sophisticated in our ability to to knock it on the head mm-hmm. every time it rears itself in New Zealand. If we do get to the, if we do manage to be able to knock it on the head to the level where we can, we can keep it at bay. And that, and that does happen. Like, um, you know, you've been stories over the last decade or so about a measles outbreak in Waikato, but then it gets contained and it yep. gets sorted and then it's gone. Yeah. That's what you mean by knock it on the head if it shows its head in New Zealand again, that sort of thing. Well, like, it, yeah, when it, as it, as it exposed, as it shows its head in New Zealand yeah. in different places and if it causes these small outbreaks, the idea is somehow being able to stop it expanding, yeah. as you describe. Um, and that's, I suppose, the, I suppose it's the billion dollar question right now, isn't it? Probably would be if someone had that answer right now. Probably yes. would be multiple billion dollar questions. I'm, always, I'm, I'm curious with the with it all because they say that the um, yeah, South Australia is two weeks, and this is obviously going to be super over, over, oversimplifying it as an understatement. If the entire planet went into self isolation for two weeks, would it stop? And and like obviously there's going to obviously people are infected potentially and have symptoms for more than two weeks and so those people need to be contained longer. But if everybody that didn't show symptoms just went like right, every person on the planet self isolate, would it knock a massive chunk out of it and then we could get it over and done with? Or is that way more complicated? Obviously it's way more complicated than that. But why why is it? Uh, it is more complicated than that, I think, and if only, I've had not thought about that before. So congratulations on the novel idea in some ways on a global level at least. Um, would require a lot of coordination on yeah, the Yeah, and, and you've got to think of all those who have got symptoms um, who need to be clear of the virus before they can be back into the population, which can be weeks rather than, um, you know, several weeks rather than just 14 days. So, yeah, I don't know whether, you know, it, 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 I think that there, if you could coordinate everybody on the planet uh, for a particular period of time, then in theory... 
because you what, what you're seeing in obviously in somewhere like Italy where they've basically the entire country's gone into lockdown yeah. um, and obviously there's going to be exceptions because there's still idiots out there who manage to just yes. go out and do what they want like I saw a video the other day of a bunch of British tourists that were deciding no no we'll do what we want thanks yeah um are we going to see a huge reduction like that? That curve that's currently, you know, going up on a spike um, is going to plateau. Is it going to plateau very, very quickly, or are we still are they are they still in it for the long run, or are they going to be okay in a, in a couple of weeks' time? Are they going to better start releasing the quarantine that sort of thing? Is what, what's are they? Because obviously they had to go to the extreme, but yeah, I think that's really difficult to understand what's going on there without being not being there necessarily, but really in going in depth to their data. Um, because there's a whole lot of dynamics that are going on. Um, I think possibly what happened with Italy was they had you know, a highly dense population with swarming with tourists. L- and even, living even on top time. of each other. And, yeah, kissing yeah. a lot and all yeah, that. My, yeah, my wife was saying that that's the reason she thinks that Italy's had such big issues with it is the fact that they are such a like, mwah, mwah, huggy. Yeah, three-time kiss very, thing. Very, yeah, very it's really physical um, country. Yeah, so I think that what they probably had was multiple incursions of the virus, like virus landing, landing in, in, in small groups of people, and they probably undetected... It's, it's, like, it's literally like warfare, isn't it? Like if yeah. you're invading a country, it's like you go dropping little places. bombs over yeah. the whole of North yeah. so Italy like para- as para- tourists. Paratrooper here, yeah. paratrooper there, paratrooper there, and they're going to be much more effective. Exactly. Than one and big before they forward. realised it, they had these things started to expand and then coalesced into the whole. Thing. On the other side of it, it it's it'll be interesting to find out in the end. And you can do this by a cross-sectional. Um, uh, survey of evidence infection at some point is to work out just what proportion of the population actually got infected. So uh, even it doesn't need to be very high to actually cause that sort of explosion uh, of disease to the level where your systems aren't coping. Um, so I think on the Diamond Princess, for example, which is a closed environment, yep. they had relatively poor um, controls and we'd hope that no one is as bad as that at mm-hmm. controlling the virus. They, they're still only... Nineteen percent had uh, were diagnosed with the is, disease. Is that actually like, like I've looked, I've looked at things like the Diamond Princess myself, and not not in detail, but from a scientific point of view, a, a, a numbers point of view, it's almost would, is it kind of like a gold mine? Would would scientists be going? Can we get as much data as we possibly no, definitely, can? Because it's like a, it's like a microcosm of, and they can study it and get yeah, it really because they you, you know that you've got the mild disease, all the people with the mild disease, all the people with the severe, and and except I don't know if everybody got tested in terms of whether you had like a transient, very transient infection. So 19% may underestimate the number of people who had a very transient infection and so on that just had no symptoms. Um, But that also helps you understand the mortality uh, ratio would be even lower than they got in reality for the whole population. Um, But somehow, um, so what precipitated with Italy is this huge just disaster of the mainly elderly Mm-hmm. Uh, deaths just piling up, um, and uh, but you do need to realise the size of the population they're dealing with, um, and it may be that really uh, not a huge, not a massive majority of people actually have been infected mm-hmm. with the virus. Uh, depending on just like, you know, do you expect to get the flu, the same flu viruses going around as everybody else every year? You don't. No, not everybody in the household. No. I don't know if it's that different necessarily with the COVID nineteen. Right. If I suppose if you have repeated exposures of the whole population to the virus throughout a long period of time, yeah. you build up the number that are infected. But in the household, 
infection rate in at least one China study I've seen is probably in the order of, well, they said it was around one in, one in five. Um, not necessarily the whole household seems to have got uh, infected. Mm. Whether that's, uh, and, 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 and that may be more towards to, to do with a little bit to do with the testing and so on, but um, that, that sort of, I think we just, there, there is some debate going on about what the proportion who would get infected will be. And if you get an uncontrolled outbreak. And that's the other thing that I think is a misconception at the moment, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, I've been reading a lot about this medical hopeful medically directed stuff and who stuff as well. Um, is that the seventy percent of the world's population being affected, that's what they're talking about if it's uncontrolled. And the example that has been given is places like uh, Italy, Iran, and Wuhan and China have those exponential growths. But in China, all the other regions have a flat growth because they were prepared. So even though part of China had the exponential growth, other parts of China had the flat growth, which is what yep. you're seeing in other... I, and and I, I fear for America. Yes. And I indeed. fear for America because of their um, their big-brained, their very big-brained um, yep. person who thought that it, it, there was five cases going to go down to one and it will be all gone by, by, April. by, by summertime. And... Yep. You know, it's it's that's a real concern. Yeah. So I think the, the key thing for me there is to note that this virus does not respect low-quality public health responses. Mm-hmm. It, but it looks like it might be incredibly susceptible to high-quality public health. So I think that's what the Asians are telling us. Right. Now, there's some debate over whether the Chinese data in particular are reliable and that there might be more cases. Right. But if, but I, the WHO looked at that and they, they look at it from a trends point of view. They actually showed from their visit that the case numbers and the numbers filling beds in hospitals were clearly decreasing um, with time. And when we think about surveillance, what you've got to do is standardise the detection process and the case identification. That might mean that there's more or less, more, more cases than you're detecting, mm-hmm. but it's got to be standardised. So, And that allows you to shoot, see what's happening as a trend. So if you don't have a standardised approach, you can't understand the trends sure. clearly. And some guy comes in and just does another 50 million tests and suddenly shows there's a, you know, more disease. It's not helping your surveillance to, to, to do what you want it to do. No. So the surveillance information in China, assuming that they've, been, they've got a, their standardised approach is fine, is showing a very clear reduction over time and is a remarkable story. Um, and even if you didn't believe that, then do you believe Taiwan, Singapore, South Korea and so on with their story? Um, so there's the graph for China as well here, so it's flattening out? Yeah, so that when's that? March. Uh, so this is times so starting from January twenty sixth. Oh, that's March to- 13. Yeah, to- that's, total cumul- that's yeah. a cumulative yeah, graph, isn't it? Yeah. So it gives yeah. you the the total over time flattening out. Yeah. So every case in the in the far right is a case that could have been in January right through to March, as a cumulative curve. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's yeah, it's a cumulative. So, so that, yeah. So that's yeah. so having that cumulative curve flattening out. That's that's a good thing, obviously. I'm guessing. Well, also, would that mean from from the data that I'm looking at that People will still be getting it in March, but because people are getting better at the same sort of rate, if not better, that's why you're not getting an increase in growth. Um, well, that would if that if there was zero people getting it from now on, that would just be flat, wouldn't it? That, because that's a cumulative graph, right? Um, so the actual numbers will give you the curve, 
Mm. Um, we're being told, one of the things we're being told is... So I mean the actual numbers per day yeah. will give you the curve. So yeah, right. like just the... Because I personally have been Gosh, watching... Gosh, that's, that's got I've a lot been, redder in the last few days. I've been watching this website, particularly for like a hawk, because it's just pure numbers, very, very basic numbers. Um, but, you know, you look at China, 20 new cases in the last 24 hours, so that's very low, I would say. So uh, that yeah. is one of the most remarkable... Uh, results that in the history of human being in the mankind, how China's dealt with it. That result, yeah. if it's true, because well, uh, because also I've been really interested in personally watching the total the, the per capita, so total cases per million pop. And you know, we started out as one basically because we had five cases, and now we're at one point seven, I think. Um, but you know, they are at um, at. Um, Fifty-six. They they peaked at about one hundred and fifty per million pop, yeah. wow. um, and Italy um, actually peaked at almost about three hundred and fifty the other day. They're starting to go back down again, as you can see. Which is yeah, so it's interesting to see the control. the the new deaths is possibly going down in Italy. Uh, uh, yeah. when was the, that one? So this so this is uh, this 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 data here is updated every twenty four hours. So the, any of the numbers like the plus numbers, they are all within the last twenty four hours. Wow. Okay, and yeah, then obviously so the total cases. So um, I've watched this like every day almost, and yeah, Italy's one peaked at about three hundred ish. So they are yeah, total million total cases per million pop is going down. So they are, are uh, well, uneducated person looking at the numbers. I would say that they are bringing yeah. it under control. Yeah, I, I think it's easy for people to get freaked out by these data because they are freaked out yeah. type data. Yeah. Um, well, some, in terms of, of watching, numbers, po- watching yeah. numbers go up in a population and so on. Because the, the raw it, numbers, like, because that's the thing is, you know, like what you were saying before, these are, these are numbers, because I've, I've chatted with people, these, these are the numbers that we're looking at are um, of just confirmed cases and people that have actually been tested, not the general populace. And so the, the, the death rates and, and, and seriousness rates are going to be much higher because there could be all those teenagers that, that didn't before, even know they had it. No show. Yeah. yeah. Well, they wouldn't be. They wouldn't have died, I suppose. But yeah, but they yeah. won't be in the. They yeah, no. That's what yeah. I was saying about yeah. Italy before. Is that yeah, they yeah. have a a high case mortality ratio, but that is because I think that the younger people with no symptoms and so on, uh, and many of the even older people with no symptoms are not being tested in the when they have chaos. So when the health system can't cope. It, it just doesn't. It's just not going to test those people. Yeah, if, you, if you're if you're only testing the people that are in hospital, then you're yeah. going to have yeah. very yeah. high. Yeah, if you rates. look at Germany, yeah. if you look at their mortality ratio, and you've got to realise that um, after a couple of weeks, uh, because people can take a, a while to die when they do die, um, they, that their illness sort of becomes severe at a bit later period, um, that their their death rate might look like it's very incredibly low early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you start to look at um, so this is Germany here now, these these numbers yeah. on screen are Germany. So if you look at their um, deaths, seventeen out of seven thousand two hundred, and uh, do a, just do a percentage on that. Um, you'll well, seventy-two would be one percent yeah, of closed cases. It's, so of it's closed cases, of 1%. it's yeah, yeah. So it's it's twenty seventeen out of the all of active cases. Um, so yeah. So what is that? I can do the math in a second. Hold on. <laughs> seventeen out of seventy-two is like a quarter of one percent. Yeah, yeah, something which, like which that. Which is what the states, no. which which is what those stats have been like for a very long time have been, isn't it? Like yeah, so it's slightly higher than it was in keeping with what I was saying, mm-hmm. but it's looking like they're doing a fantastic clinical job on the cases. Is there any is there any information out there, estimates or I don't know, science doesn't guess, but like kind of best guesses that what the actual death rate is, like taking into account all those ones that haven't been counted and all those yeah. young people. So outside outside Wuhan and mm-hmm. and Hubei in China. 
the I think the mortality ratio is is well under one percent, right? Which is probably more in keeping with reality, because they've been try- they've done rapid case contact management, aggressively finding every case they possibly could in those areas. So, so if that is the case, this really is about looking after Nana and Popper. It's that- actually really because. Under one percent. I mean, my understanding is that that the yeah. influenza or pneumonia, or whatever, is like point two or point one. That's under one yeah, percent. This is about not setting up a chain of transmission that eventually eventually reaches to Nana and Popper. Yeah, it really and is, isn't it? Our, uh, and other people with usually un- who die would be underlying medical conditions. Yeah, these are. This is about not trying to. S- not focusing on who could infect you. Yeah, yeah. It's about you, you not setting up a chain of transmission to net that eventually reaches them. So as yourself, it's not treating all other drivers like an idiot. It's treating, no. treating yourself like an idiot. If someone needs a hug, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> give them a hug. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, and lots of people will need a hug now, and you just need to work out how to do that safely. Yeah. Which is, means if you've got a cold, get someone else to give them a hug. So, so speaking of that <laughs> as well, I wanted to ask a couple of other things, um, and, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, the first thing is the advice is if you're not feeling well, stay away from work. It, obviously, a part of that is you know because it could be Corona, but is the other yeah. part of that if I've got a cold, a normal cold like a lot of people have at the moment, ironically, your immune system is also a bit down. Is that a part of it? Uh, that could be a possible a minor part of it because that does occur with some viruses. Yeah, that there's a moment in time when your immune system is a bit down, but it's not about that. It's about, in case it is, corona. This is about the habit of not passing on your infection to someone else this yep. year. Yep. Maybe, hopefully, not next year yep. as well and into the future. And, and I do most of my research overseas. Mm-hmm. And, when, and um, I've, when I visit Indonesia, which is where our main research site, uh, relationship is, um, every time someone has a cold there, they, if they're at work, they've got a mask on. Now, I'm not saying that everybody needs to wear a mask in New Zealand. But if you do, but they have a habit of trying not to pass on their viruses to someone else because they had, they're close to the epicenter of these things when they come out. They know, they understand uh, the dangers of these viruses. I read uh, an article that talked about some of those countries in that area because they have had bird flu and they have had swine flu. Are uh, why you're also seeing a flat graph for some of those because they are prepared and they have some of these practices already. Yeah, so Taiwan, for example, they They've activated their plan before we knew, as far as I know, before we knew what COVID-19 was. Wow. They recognised increased cases in, uh, I think, in, in Wuhan, mm-hmm. and that triggered their response. So within a week they were, they were, they were activating. The other question which has come out a few times uh, is once you have this and get well, are you then protected from it? Yeah. So again, this is a little bit like me and how do I, how am I avoiding this? How can I avoid this virus? So mm-hmm. going back to the, uh, the main thing is other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's most likely that you have uh, protection from the virus once you're, once you've had disease. And, um, I haven't checked the latest literature on whether there's any cases of people having got it again. Right. But we're really talking small things around the edges. Mm-hmm. I know it's a question, but it's it's not going to be the answer to this pro- this problem um, over the next period of time. And so, it, you, if someone's had it, you shouldn't stigmatise them and ostracise them no. in any way, shape or form. So I guess um, you said we're going a bit around the edges. If we sort of wrap up now by maybe um, 
you know, looking to you as somewhat of an expert in some of these fields, um, what what is the best advice right now to reiterate what what is getting to the meat of it, not going around the edges? I know that when we spoke on the phone yesterday, you joked, I think you were joking, probably not, <laughs> about the Hyde Street Party, and you said they've cancelled that. So I'm sure that makes you, you're pleased about that. Yeah. So there's no big gathering of students drinking and kissing, basically. I, I, did, I did see that there's been a, a Facebook event popped up saying um, that they're going to raid it anyway and a whole bunch of people are going to do it anyway, yeah. which is, you know, typical. So yeah. rather than talking around the edges, to wrap up for people, if they want to do one thing, yeah, like what, what, yeah. what do people need to really, really, really so know? That's what my student kids said to me on the weekend <laughs> when I was asking them about this. I said, they said, you just got to say direct to the students what the, what, what the story is here. And, um, you know... It's it's all very well to just ignore this, but it's not going to go away as an issue in the next period of time. And it's going back to the same issue. You might have almost zero chance, close to as, as close to zero as almost you can get at your age as a student from dying from this infection. But if you set up a new train of transmission, when you've got you've if you've got it, and that leads to Nana and Popper that puts them at much more risk than any other virus that's circulating at the moment. Um, and that's, that's a responsibility that, that you, know, you can't take lightly. Um, so get, get real about this thing. Don't get scared of a virus. It doesn't even have a brain. Um, I believe we can beat this thing, but you need to be part of it as a student. And... Um, and you need to re change how you're partying, change how many people are at parties, be able to know who was at the party. So if there's a case contact investigation, they can be traced within that three or four or five day period. Um, don't go crazy on St. Patrick's Day. Enjoy your time as a student <laughs> and... Um, and just take that extra level of responsibility now because we need you to do that. And that same advice can be for any of those people in the non-serious like serious area. I, lo- I actually really – you know when you're talking to someone and someone says something, you're going to go, shit, that's a good idea. The idea of knowing who's at your party, knowing who's in your house because – you know, if you have a party and there's a hundred people there, not that there should be in this day yeah. and age, but if there yeah. was, and someone's yeah. infected, and you're like, oh, I don't know who was there, then yeah. you're actually you're relying on yeah. an announcement for them to hear it rather than yeah. you to go, hey, dude, yeah. or hey, dude, it. Yeah, I saw I saw something the other day, um, just yesterday or this morning, even that they were talking about with restaurants and stuff, are saying, you know. Um, Actually, my wife's saying that one of our local cafes, they've taken out um, a third of the tables um, so that they can pay, space the tables yeah. more out so they can at least have yeah. some. And then also doing things like um, if people are paying um, people are paying by cash, taking their name down. Yeah. Because if you, you know, if you use a, if you use in, um, if you use a card, then they can trace you. Um, Fantastic. By, by running it down. Now, idea, actually, yeah. that's one thing I thought as well. Yeah. As I was, my wife said last time, I was like, and I think she said it, is, is that um, ANZ, BNZ, they should all be waiving their contactless payment um, transaction fees on merchants at the moment because encouraging everybody because there is a small percentage yeah. and so you know having everybody use PayWave is one little uh, thing I you think can do, it, you know? this is a time for Kiwi, Kiwi ingenuity yeah. Yeah. to That's be applied we while at the same time looking after each other um, so I think this is a this is you know this is a this is a the sort of thing that should be coming through yeah did you uh, find that little video 
I d- uh, the little match one? Yes. Yeah, I yeah, think I we can it. finish on that. What's it called? Social spacing? What's I had it, I accidentally world? closed it or something. Hold on. There's a lovely little video, a little meme going around at the moment talking about the distancing that we're supposed to have. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a really good example of it. While Jace is finding that, I'll just say thanks for coming in. Yeah. Um, I guess what you're going to say is if people want to know more um, then yeah. the health <laughs> health guidelines, WHO, go straight to the source. Yeah. not That's not just to avoid being called, but you know, it would be nice not to be called, but... Go straight to the source because yeah. it's changing and their advice is changing as the thing evolves and uh, go straight to the Ministry of Health guidelines for the questions. And if you don't find them there, then alert them to the question if you think, if you think it's important. Also, I think this is a, a period for the citizens of the country to be trusting as well. I mean, I know there's a little bit of angst out there for some people talking about, you know, Jacinda's doing this or Jacinda's doing that. It's like, actually, this is a... Uh, I'm reminded when you're talking about a new strain or a, a new virus of, for example, when countries get colonised, like when people went to the Americas and wiped out 70% of Native Americans yeah. because they had colds, because they'd just never seen that before. Yeah. So I, I, I think that that's what made me think of it. And I kind of went, yeah, well, that's 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 what we need to think about it like. Um, so... Professor Philip Hill, this is this little video on social spacing and what we should do. I quite like it. It's quite a good near go. Ah, yeah, great. Yeah, you know, in rugby, we try to close down the space. Yeah. These are just about opening up the space. Yeah. So that one's going around. It's quite a nice little way to go. Look, put a bit of space and uh, you can stop it going from that person to that person. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And give them a hug afterwards. Afterwards, yeah. After the flames come down. All right, Professor Philip Hill. <laughs> thank you so much for giving us some time this morning. Really appreciate it. And hopefully there's some good information for people out there. Great, thanks. Okay, Professor Philip Hill from Otago University. Uh, he knows everything well. He's a specialist, public health physician. He also is a specialist for infectious diseases. Um, and that was really just a conversation around COVID-19 and perhaps some good information to get out there. Now, look, um, I'm actually not going to tease any upcoming podcasts uh, or live stream events because uh, we don't know what's happening with things like the Fringe Festival as we sit here recording this. We had a lot of guests coming through from the Fringe Festival. It appears that most of them have probably withdrawn. Uh, we're a little bit up in the air at the moment. I'm sorry we can't give you much more information other than to say if you head to our website www.thedoc.nz as soon as we know information we will pass that information on to you. We are not stopping in fact, there is some talk about us uh, doing more uh, because we have the ability to uh, do more if we want to do more. Uh, but those plans will be revealed in the next few days to few weeks. Uh, but as for right now, I'm not. I, I just I just can't tell you who's coming up in the next few weeks because we just don't know at the moment entirely. Uh, if you are listening to us through iTunes, a rate and a review would be really appreciated. Um, and other than that, stay safe, stay well, stay close. And, and echoing the words of the professor, uh, you know, we're doing this for our elderly people. We really are. That really that really hit me in this conversation, that if the mortality rate could be down well under 1% across the board, then actually those of us who aren't 75 and up, and look, I'm getting closer, but I'm not there yet, um, are really doing all this uh, hand-washing, you know, hand sanitizer, all, all those sorts of things, no tongues, um, to look after Nana and Grandad and Gran and Papa and all, all whatever name you typically call your grandparents. That's what we're doing this for. Um, and so let's just think about it. 
as the professor said, rather than thinking about everyone else having it, if you think about yourself having it, then that you approach the world differently and do what you can to not infect other people, especially when that line of uh, infection could end up with the vulnerable being the elderly. All right, bit of a different vibe. We're wrapping up today's show. Not quite the same light-hearted banter as always, but hurry, my friends, and we will talk again very soon. <laughs>